in Chicago, two comedian skeptics named Andy and Art were mysteriously abducted by the illusionary mastermind and conspiracy theorist known only as Mr. Mr. Bunker. Bunker. The following serves as a record of Bunker's attempt to convince non-believers of the truth about conspiracies and paranormal activity. Andy and Art give an uninterrupted presentation and verdict on the plausibility of these offbeat topics, delivering what they call the, the whole enchilada. Will Mr. Bunker convince these two skeptics any of this is real? Will it convince you? Welcome to Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, Art Stone. And with me, as always, is your co-host, Andy Hart. Hello, Bunk Funker. So good to be here with you. And hey, we've got a thrilling episode in store for you today. Wow. Do we, Andy? Oh, yeah. This one is going to tickle the fancies of all you uh, future freaks out there, you eggheads, you apocalyptic Doom freaks out Lovers there? of Gak? Lovers of Gak, you're going to get off on this. You're going to be coming hard for- You'll be yakking your Gak you'll for be... Floam. <laughs> lovers of Floam. Lovers Flom. of Silly Putty. Play-Doh fans. Kinetic Sand. Kinetic Sand. All you, all you goopy- Wooly goop. willies? Yeah. <laughs> all you goop lovers out there are going to get- Goop lovers. You're going to get hard on that. And I'm not talking Gwyneth Paltrow either. I'm no, talking, we're not. I'm talking the original goop, just gunky stuff that's- Drip, stuff. Drippy and sticky and icky. Now, you're going to love this because today's topic mm-hmm. is essentially about a swarm of robots destroying the entire planet. And it's called Grey Goo. The Grey Goo. Grey Goo. This is not Grey Goo Pond. This is not a mustard. <laughs> this is... Uh, this is not the Michael Crichton book. No. <laughs> Wait, was there a Michael Crichton book called Grey Goo? Yeah. Oh. Not called Grey Goo. I think it was called Prey. Oh, Prey Goo. And it was based on spaghetti sauce that you buy in a jar at the store. Close. But it was a very similar concept. There was nanobots infecting people. Oh, wow. Okay. I know a little bit about the Grey Goo. Okay. Art's a a Grey Goo fanatic. Uh, Bunkfuckers, we hope you will be too. Now, if you can't wait to sink... All of your atoms and molecules into the gray goo, then what you can do is you can force yeah. the future uh-huh. on us by consuming the entire intro of the show in one instant by fast forwarding through it on your podcast yeah. app. You're gonna get a big load of goo all over your chest and face to wherever the time maybe even tells your lower you back. Yeah, if you're lucky, <laughs> and maybe just maybe the goo will shoot up inside you. Yeah, look at the timestamp. Look at the timestamp is what I'm trying to say. Show notes, timestamp, skip ahead. You can skip ahead. You can go right to the research. Because firstly and foremostly, me and Art got to tell you about how we got abducted yet a fucking again. (sighs) Every week. Can't even have a nice week. (sighs) (sighs) Funkfunkers, you don't know this about us because you don't know us. but fucking know us. You think you know us well. Anyone can tell. You think you know us well. You think you know me. But you don't know us. You 
think you know me. Just like Edge's theme song. You think you know me. You don't. You bring your hand to me, and then you say hello, and I can hardly speak. My heart is beating so. Your heart is being so slow? Anyone can tell. <laughs> you think you know out. me well, but you don't know me. So, Bunk Funkers, you don't know this about us because you don't know us, but Art and I, we are culinarian dabblers. We are very into old recipes. If you're not familiar with old recipes, it's taking recipes that aren't in vogue anymore. Uh-huh. It's people making them. Yeah. Debating whether or not they're good recipes. And a big part of being in the older recipe crowd is something called aspic. Aspic. Which is... A-S-P-I-C. Yeah. It's not what I originally thought, which is some sort of tool to get your wedgies out of your butt crack. Or pictures of butts. Right. Aspic. Which... There are websites for that. Turns out there's websites for it. Yeah. We did a lot of research... Into that particular aspect of it. Yeah, somebody told me about Aspic, and I was like looking up Aspic, and I was like, well, yeah, it's a lot of butts. But. I was like, okay, well, yeah, I don't know why my browser already has all this cached information for yeah. harrymanass.com, but <laughs> it sure does. So it's it's Aspic yeah. in food terms mm-hmm. is basically a savory jello mold. This is a savory jello. This is a meat-filled jello. This is um there's other pieces meat, in the jello. Vegetables, you can put anything in the jello, but it's right. basically it's a savory application of your standard jello mold. So it's you take gelatin, gelatin, you put whatever you want in it, you put it in a mold, and then later on you have a molded version of that jello with whatever else in it. Because of course they don't just make fruit flavored jellos. There are unflavored gelatins. Right. And you can add whatever flavorings you want. And you can put anything you want in there. Right. As um, we famously saw in the office, Dwight or Jim pranked Dwight pretty fucking hard by putting his stapler inside of Jello. So, yeah. Very clear, Bunk Funkers, that you can put anything inside of a Jello mold. Literally anything. Doesn't have to be edible. Yeah. Um, but we're focused on the edible portion. Yeah. Art and I are, are focused on the edible. We've been doing Aspic in our spare time for a while now. Um, you know, we've done a lot of things like. Done a lot of Aspic. We've done a lot of Aspic. <laughs> And we've been making a lot of jello. We're molds. ass pickers. We've <laughs> we've been doing a lot of ass picking. We've been making a lot of jello molds. So we do wash our hands in between. The we you know, we've had some favorites. <laughs> we've had some favorites. We've had some favorites, you know. We did the um the classic um, you know, tuna salad jello mm-hmm. mold where, you know, you take like a ring-shaped mold and you put like tuna salad in it and you put, you know, it's like a mayonnaise jello. You put tuna in it and yeah. it's got like, um, you know, cucumber slices. And um, as any good aspic would, it also has pimento stuffed olives in it. Um, that's the key, really. That's that's like, uh, you know, kind of aspic 101 is to garnish your plate with like fucking lettuce and and have a lot of pimento stuffed olives mm-hmm. um it's just it's just kind of 101 you know? yeah this is this is easy stuff yeah so another one of our favorites is a, an aspic an aspic take on sushi yep so it's canned salmon it's uh seaweed and it's rice <laughs> and you put it in a ring shaped mold <laughs> and then when it comes out you garnish it with pimento stuffed olives <laughs> 
<laughs> just like sushi. Just like sushi. Just, just like, like sushi. sushi. Just like uh, sushi. You could also use canned salmon uh, to do sort of a salmon salad, mm-hmm. um, kind of a mold where you get a fish-shaped mold, yeah. and then you use pimento stuffed olives for the eyes of the fish. I did a really interesting one one time. It was a deconstructed soup. Yeah. And so what I did was I took a can of Progresso soup, mm-hmm. and then I used the soup can as the mold, mm-hmm. and I put the soup... In the Jello mold, it was gelatin yeah. in a can. It was like very high concept. I got you know, and I entered it into an, a, a competition, and, and of course, I garnished it with pimento stuffed <laughs> green olives and lettuce. Right. Yeah, and you know, one of the, <gasps> you know, this is not really this is not really savory, but we did the similar thing with with cranberry sauce, where we made our own cranberry sauce, and then we mixed it with gelatin, and then we put it in a can shaped mold so that it looked like. It was canned cranberry sauce. Then we garnished it with pimento stuffed olives. <laughs> and so some people are saying, okay, okay. Seems like you're just kind of shoving stuff in jello and then garnishing it with that pimento is, stuffed seems olives. Seems like you're just using canned food. But, you know, haters you are going to hate. Haters are going to hate because this is, a, this is a competitive scene. Yeah, this is, you know, a lot of people don't know this about Aspic, but it is... Very intense. And the people who are involved in this community, they're very passionate. Very passionate. They've been doing this shit since the 1950s. Uh, this is not not dissimilar to what cake baking has become. Cake baking, very people very passionate oh, about baking so cakes. Competitive. People very competitive about fondant. it. They want to compare. Fondant. Oui, oui, fondant. Right, it's French. Yeah. Fondant. You got to use your fondant. You got to use your fucking Buttercream. Buttercream. Your funfetti. Make crazy cakes, man. Yeah. Cake boss. Yeah. If you can make a cake that looks like me and Art, yeah. mail it to us. Do it. And we'll eat it. We'll eat it on camera. Uh, but yeah, Aspic. We, we have a giant camera we like to sit on. <laughs> and we'll eat the cake on, <laughs> we'll the, camera. on top of the camera. So Aspic is very similar to this. A lot of these very competitive uh, grannies who used to be, you know, housewives from the 1940s. And these 50s. are big time ass pickers. Big time ass pickers. Uh, they come to fucking play. They don't fuck around with their molds. They don't give away their mold secrets. Mm-mm. They don't give away their, you know, what they're using for their, um, you know, their gelatin recipes, how they do it. It's a closely guarded secret. They will beat. Andy and I both got our heinies beaten raw mm. by a couple of these grannies who yeah. were like hardcore ass pickers. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of these grannies beat these our- Betty Crocker types. Mm. And they show up, but they act like they're all feeble with their cane, but then they beat the living shit out of you with it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, a couple of these old grannies spanked our butts raw, oh, yeah. you know, in a couple of cities where we were doing some of these Aspic, you know, tours and, like, going to Aspic conventions. Yes, we did have to pay some stronger gentlemen to spank our asses raw. So we've been through a lot to get into this scene. Yeah. And it's very tough. It's but scene. We're at the point now where we feel pretty confident in our ass picking ability. Mm-hmm. We feel like we can pick ass with the best of them. I mean, we can ass pick with the best of them. And so we're we decided to enter the world's probably, biggest, probably, probably the biggest, yeah, ass pick competition, yeah, uh, which is called um, ass picking, ass pen, ass pick pen, ass pick pen. Because it's in Aspen. It's been Aspen. So it's, it's an Aspen, Aspen picking It's an Aspen picking competition in Aspen. So they call it Aspen. It's picking. Aspen. 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 
They need to work on their marketing. Yeah. <laughs> but do it's a the biggest bit, and it the does sound a little bit like Ask Pigpen, like if Pigpen from Charlie Brown had an advice column. That's a big pen. Which, what fucking advice would you take from that guy? All of his advice would be like, you don't need to shower. <laughs> like, I asked you what to do about my relationship. Stop showering. <laughs> Get so dirty that a dust cloud and like fucking mites and other little pieces. <laughs> like you, you become a fucking tempest god. Oh my for trash. god! He was fucking covered in bugs. Big Ben. Yeah, he had a full dust cloud. He was covered him. in fucking bugs. <laughs> Nobody did anything. <laughs> fucking splotches of dirt all over his skin. Everybody in Charlie Brown, they just let him live like this. Yeah, Ch- Charlie's he was covered in bugs and lice, and nobody even said like, "Go to the principal's office. <laughs> you should go, go home see, and take a shower." Go see the nurse. Yeah. Fucking Charlie Brown, you selfish asshole. You're concerned with your own depression. What happened to Pigpen's fucking parents? Right. Lioness is concerned with his fucking blanket. Yeah. Why aren't you guys concerned about Pigpen? Pigpen. Pepper, Peppermint Patty and the, the other one. I don't remember their names. Um, The one with the glasses, you mean? Yeah. Lucy, too concerned with, with dunking on Charlie. No yeah. one's concerned for Pigpen. Nobody cares about Pigpen. The most troubled child in the whole group. <laughs> The kid who needs the most help. Yeah. Not Charlie Brown. Mm. Oh, woe is you, Charlie Brown. You're fucking sad. You're eight years old, motherfucker. You've got your whole life ahead of you to be fucking depressed. <laughs> and Pigpen likely has emphysema. <laughs> Pigpen, Pigpen, Pigpen has diseases we haven't discovered Pigpen's yet. Pigpen's parents is, are, are suffering from severe mental illness, and nobody will even step in and help them with their child. Now, we don't know. Maybe Pigpen's parents have been very aggressive to attempts for help from the past. We don't know. It's not a verifiable thing. We don't know if maybe some of the other parents went over and said, you know what? Let us help give your kid a bath. And they said, get the fuck out of my house. But why isn't anybody offering? It doesn't seem like anybody cares. They're just like, oh, yeah, that's the kid who's fucking got a cloud of dust following him constantly. All the other parents, all the other adults in Charlie Brown's world sound like wah, wah, wah to the kids. But Pigpen's parents sound like wah, wah, wah to all the other parents, too, because their fucking lungs are so f- involved with dust and grime in their shitty house. They cough, and it's just like a yeah. spray of dust. <laughs> anyway, justice for Pigpen. So, um, we're at so we Ask- went to Ask Pigpen. We're at Ask Pigpen, and we're entering a competition, and, you know, Andy and I had... A really interesting seafood. We we entered a kind of seafood uh, smorgasbord sort of mm-hmm. buffet where we had different things. Yes, we did have endangered shark meat, shark fin soup. That was one of the things we put in. We did have um, fresh caught salmon. There were salmon fillets. Uh, there was a tuna salad involved in the mold. Mm-hmm. We did. Um, we did. Um, you know, a classic like. Um, Chapino. So, you know, you make a tomato soup aspic and you just suspend uh, mussels and clams and yep. shrimp and scallops right. in it. Right. And um, fennel. Fennel. And uh, yeah. And so it was kind of like an octopus mold. It's kind of neat. So each arm of the octopus was like a different yeah. seafood or fish based, uh, ocean based right. food item. And we did this fun little thing where. We took pimento stuffed olives and, you know, that part in the bottom that's where the pit comes out, where the machine goes in to push the pit out. Mm-hmm. If you just open that up a little <laughs> bit, um, we use that to make it look like the suckers on right. the octopus's legs. And then, of course, the eyes pimento. were pimento <laughs> yeah. stuffed olives. 
traditional. It's very traditional. Yeah, we also, you know, trimmed the olives to make the beak of yeah. the octopus, which right. was pimento stuffed olives. We thought it was a surefire winner. I mean, this was, I mean, you should see the size of this mold. Huge. This is a life-size octopus mold. Yeah, we had to get the guys from uh, Orange County Choppers to fucking machine together. <laughs> yeah. We had to get the fucking Tuttles back together. Right. Yeah. They don't talk to each other. Paul Sr. Tuttle and Tuttle Jr., they don't talk. We had to get them together and have them restart Orange County Choppers and then fucking mold this shit together for us. Yeah, when we first started the show, the Tuttles were two of our biggest inspirations and we reached out to them and we both became very good friends with them. Um, you know, we like to call them and they like to shout at us and berate us and we like being berated. Um, you know, we like to be told that we're trash and we fucking suck and yep. that we're ruining this business. And so we've, we've, we've forged this relationship, but they did come back together and it only took them eight months to machine us this octopus because right. they kept shutting down because they kept getting into fist fights. <laughs> But this octopus, I mean, this is a life-size octopus. It's, it's very detailed. It's very, very detailed. beautiful. And plenty of room for lots of delicious aspic. We were surefire ready to win the aspic pen festival. I mean, mm -hmm. it was just... Um, we were the top contenders. Everyone was talking about it. The judges were talking about it. Everyone was saying, this is our year to finally fucking top and win. Um, You know, Margaret Littleman... Was one of our biggest competitions in Aspic. She is a fucking Aspic god, uh, goddess, you know, whatever you want to say. Deity. Deity. Um, you know, she came in, she won one year with a full cast of the Looney Tunes Aspic. She had all these Looney Tunes molds, which you cannot get anymore. They were one-time offers. Discontinued. Not, Discontinued. Not in production since the 60s. You can't find these anymore. But let me tell you, Bunk Funkers. Yeah. Margaret Littleman, she did the most amazing thing with these Looney Tunes molds, which is that she did themed aspects based on the characters. So yeah. the Bugs Bunny mold was a rabbit mold. Right. There was rabbit inside was the pfeffer inside that. She did a live, she did a Sylvester the cat going after Tweety Bird. Mm -hmm. And all of this was gelatin. There was a full fried chicken in the shape of Tweety Bird. Right. Inside the cage and the Sylvester was, was a cat. That she had killed and served as food. <laughs> now, we were pissed. We said, that's fucking disqualification. You know, it's, it's not a food. That's not a food. But, you know, Margaret, she fucking, she pays off the fucking she judges. Pays off the ju and I got to tell you, it was delicious, too. You ate some of it? Well, yeah. You fucking piece of shit. You're not supposed to eat her stuff. I ate one of each character. <laughs> I wasn't really expecting much from the Tasmanian devil, but it was good. <laughs> I mean, her Peking duck, Daffy Duck mold, right? You know, was fucking spectacular. But I'm not eating it, Andy. We if I had one, if I enemy had one, lines, if I had one point of criticism for Margaret on this, lack of pimento stuffed olives. That's right. There weren't enough pimento stuffed olives. I go up there. I would like a little pimento stuffed olive with my cat suspended in Jello. Which we keep saying to the judges that needs to be on the criteria and they're saying shut the fuck up stop talking to me you're way too close stop it i can smell your breath it smells like olives get away from me they keep saying that to they us. keep We're saying like, are you drinking directly from a jar of olive brine the answer is yes stop asking me yes i'm drinking olive brine god this was our year this was our fucking year and 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 i'm so pissed because 
Here's what happens. We're walking up. We're about to walk up to the stage to present our octopus, our seafood medley aspect. And you know what happens? The fucking stage collapses out from under us. We get dropped into a jello mold. Yeah. A giant jello mold. We become the aspic. Yeah. Well, and the, the real issue here, bunkfuckers, you're probably saying it's just jello. Struggle and get out of it. Well, here's the thing the jello that we fell into hadn't set yet. Right. So the lid closes on this mold and then the jello sets right. and we're stuck. We're jiggling. Suspended in aspic. We get taken to the bunker. Yeah. So Turns out Margaret, Margaret Littleman, Littleman is Mr. Is Mr. Bunker. bunker. I ate Mr. Bunker's cat. Yeah. You ate. You, that's why I told you not to ever fucking cross enemy lines and go eat from the fucking enemy. The, the competition stock. Well, I'm so fucking pissed, Andy. We worked so fucking hard on our ass picked and we got ass picked. He picked our asses. Yeah, I I made I made some big time blunders. Fuck this week, bunk funkers that led to a really less than desirable outcome. And I've learned a valuable lesson though about being true to your school, being true to your friends, being loyal. Uh huh. And I'm not gonna cross enemy lines again. Good. I don't care how delicious a cat jello mold looks. I'm not going to eat it if it was made by my enemy. I mean, really, you shouldn't be eating it in general, but baby steps. Yeah, cat's just an animal. If we farmed cats, people would eat them. <laughs> They're too cute. Not all of them. Some of them. Yeah. Most of them. They're very cute. Well, this is coming from a kid who had to kill one as a kid. Purposely. Yeah. I'm forced to court ordered. Yeah, I was yeah, I didn't do it willingly. Um and I didn't finish the job either. That's true, you didn't. I didn't have the stomach to do it. But now you have to. Now you do. <laughs> yeah. It's in my stomach now. What are you gonna know, Bunk Funkers? We 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 No ribbon. No ribbons for us. We got captured in a giant yeah. mode. But... We we get first place for being the biggest idiots at S. Pickman. Just like that every week, Andy. But you know what? We've got, uh, it's not Jell-O we're going to be talking about. It's Grey Goo. Yeah, I mean, Jell-O. <laughs> Are you all ready for the world to end? <laughs> Bugfuckers, I just want you to know that every time Andy and I makes a Chello or Jell-O joke or a hello joke, uh, Andy in particular picks up a receiver, an old school landline receiver, as if he has a rotary phone in front of him, picks up a receiver, holds it very close to his head, and goes, uh, Chello. <laughs> I want you all to know that. He I do what I <laughs> pantomimes it. I do think that that's an important part of me uh, saying that. Yeah. Very I do ans- I do actually answer the phone. Yellow. <laughs> um, we're talking about the gray goo. The gray goo. We're coming at you with the whole enchilada on the gray goo here. On Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. My friend Goo is a lot like you. She is always doing something cool. I remember the lyrics. Sonic Youth.
Art. I've got a surprise for you today. Oh, oh, I don't like those. Funk Funkers, I think you're going to like this too, more than art, maybe. Uh, today's topic is that of a future tech doomsday scenario. Yay! My impending doom. Yeah, you like it. So I thought... Who better to help present such a topic than a supervillain? Whoa! That's why I asked my good friend, Dr. Igor Von Doombot, to be here today. Welcome, oh. Dr. Von Doombot! Greetings, Andy and Art and Bunk Funkers! I'm here to plot the destruction of the world after I've mined it for all of its rare minerals and to chew bubblegum. And I'm all out of bubblegum. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, all Igor. Right. Andy, you really needed to invite this guy? Hold on. Hold on. We talked about this, buddy, all right? A little strong for an opener. Try to tone it down a little bit, okay? He doesn't get out much. Okay, Just, but like, you know how I get when you invite like your friends here and then they fucking he's, he's are gonna get weird it. and they trash the place and they cackle and say stuff about like bubblegum. Right, right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to him. Hey, okay, look. Just have a conversation. Have a sidebar I'm with talking, him, I'm talking. Yeah. Igor, listen. You're making people uncomfortable, okay? Just tone it down a little bit, all right? If people are discomforted by my presence, then they are wise. For one day they shall serve me in the Eritrean mines. Uh, all right. All right. What? Just fucking cool it, Von Doombot. Let's just start dishing up the whole enchilada here. Oh, okay. All right. Just calm down. Oh, Jesus, Andy. I don't know. I just look. He's I'll gonna, give him a chance. This is your first time on a podcast, okay? Okay. Our topic today is rooted in the science and science fiction of nanotechnology. Ooh, not to be confused with nanny technology or nanotechnology. Well, we're going to talk about it. Oh, I jump ahead. <laughs> you may have just ruined a joke. Oh, I pulled a you. <laughs> but what the hell is nanotechnology? <laughs> the National Nanotechnology <laughs> Initiative describes nanotech thusly. Quote, nanotechnology is science, engineering, and technology conducted at the nanoscale, which is about 1 to 100 nanometers. <laughs> Hold on. Nanoscience <laughs> and nanotechnology are the study and application of extremely small things and can be used across all other science fields such as chemistry, biology, physics, material science, and engineering. End quote. Uh, okay, eggheads. So what's a nanometer exactly? Well... Let's turn again to the National Nanotechnology Initiative to find out. Quote, okay. In the international system of units, the prefix nano means one billionth. Whoa. Or 10 to 9. Therefore, one nanometer is one billionth of a meter. It's difficult to imagine just how small that is. So here are some examples. A sheet of paper is about 100,000 nanometers thick. Whoa. A strand of human DNA is two and a half nanometers in diameter. Whoa. There are 25,400,000 nanometers in one inch. A human hair is approximately 80,000 to 100,000 nanometers wide. A single gold atom is about a third of a nanometer in diameter. Ooh. On a comparative scale, if the diameter of a marble was one nanometer, then the diameter of Earth would be about one meter. And also, the combined size of our penises touching tips is one nanometer. One nanometer. <laughs> one nanometer is about as long as your fingernail grows in one second. Ugh. Yeah, that's gross, right? Kind of weird. Yeah. So, 
Nanoscience and nanotechnology involve the ability to see and to control individual atoms and molecules. Today's scientists and engineers are finding a wide variety of ways to deliberately make materials at the nanoscale to take advantage of their enhanced properties, such as higher strength, lighter weight, increased control of light spectrum, and greater chemical reactivity than their larger scale counterparts. Okay. So here's a few examples of the kick-ass freaking cool stuff you can do with nanotech. Nanoscale additives to or surface treatments of fabrics can provide lightweight ballistic energy deflection in personal body armor. This is real? This is real applications of nanotechnology. Whoa, okay. Uh, or these applications can help fabrics resist wrinkling, staining, and bacterial growth. Good. Good for us. That's what I need. All of my bacteria-stained shirts. Research in the use of nanotechnology for regenerative medicine spans several application areas, including bone and neural tissue engineering. Uh, for instance, novel materials can be engineered to mimic the crystal mineral structure of human bone or used as a restorative resin for dental applications. Researchers are looking for ways to grow complex tissues with the goal of one day growing human organs for transplant. Researchers are also studying ways to use graphene nanoribbons to help repair spinal cord injuries. Preliminary research shows that neurons grow well on the conductive graphene surface. Wow. So there, we could envision a future in which nanotechnology allows us to even repair brain damage for nanoscience to be able to actually repair damaged neurons in the brain. Wow. Or potentially even capture our own thoughts in some sort of electronic format. Elon? Mm? You listening? Yeah. You Neuralink. Listening Neuralink. So nanobioengineering of enzymes is aiming to enable conversion of cellulose from wood chips, corn stalks, unfertilized perennial grasses, and other things into ethanol oh, fuck to be yeah. used for fuel. So cellulosic nanometers, Gas nanomaterials are over five bucks. That's fucking crazy. <laughs> oh no, he just dated the episode. People know when we did this. <laughs> so uh, the cellulose, cellulosic nanomaterials uh, can sh have shown potential applications in a variety of sectors like electronics, construction, packaging, food, defense, etc. cetera. Uh, these materials are projected to be less expensive than a lot of other nanomaterials. And, uh, they have a pretty impressive strength-to-weight ratio Okay, for other nanomaterials. So uh, aside from this, researchers have developed a nanofabric paper towel woven from tiny wires of potassium manganese oxide that can absorb 20 times its weight in oil for cleanup applications. This is a big, a big thing about nanotechnology is that it can be used in a lot of ways for environmental disasters. So they would release these nanopaper towels into the ocean when they spill oils. Or they could be using this to help clean up rocks and birds on the shore. Yeah. Um, but it's tiny. So they've got like millions or billions of these nano paper towels. And what do they do? Like, what form does it come out of together? Is it like a uh, big old goo? Well, no, it's just like a, it's like a fabric thing, basically. But the fabric at its core has nanotech. Yeah, it's just they use these tiny atoms to like weave this together and it's super absorbent and then they just blow it out you know you weave this tiny thing and then you just build on that build on a build until it's the size of like a blanket right or whatever or then you can use that for clean up yeah and you just fucking cleans up all the goddamn oil right i mean this is all very 
hypothetical still. That's not real. Not really putting it into practice as much, but it's real. It's a real thing. Well, get on it, fucking bounty and the brawny man. Yeah, where's where's that sexy ass brawny guy when you need him? Fucking dumbass. Get on it. All right, so here, you're going to like this one too. Okay. Researchers have also placed magnetic water repellent nanoparticles in oil spills and used magnets to mechanically remove the oil from the water. So they take tiny little particles. Magnets, how do they work? That are magnetically repellent. They push away a magnet, an attractive magnet. So they're like you in a social gathering where you push away attractive particles. And so they put these in the oil. They just, you know, put them in there and then they can use like big magnet to like lift the oil. Big magnet. (laughs) They can use big magnet. Big magnet is very about this. I mean, I don't normally shill for big corporations, but Big Magnet is all over this, and they're doing a great job. This this research sponsored by Big Magnet. It's not often it's not often the case where you get both poles of Big Magnet to be right fucking together. Normally they're very opposed. Right. Yeah. But this this is one where they're working together. Um, so nanoscale materials are also being incorporated into a variety of personal care products to improve performance. So this is like, like real performance stuff. enhancing drugs. Nanoscale titanium dioxide and zinc oxide have been used for years in sunscreen to provide protection from the sun while appearing invisible on the skin. Jeez. Imagine if I could make nanoscale it- erytrium. God. I could implant microscopic blue pigment into everybody. What, what purpose would that serve? Uh, look. Andy, control your guest. Look, he's just really into erytrium, okay? What is erytrium? It's a rare earth mineral. You can make a really blue, you can make, it's, they used erytrium to make a blue pigment. It was like the first new shade of blue they discovered for a really long time. He wants to blue the whole world? Yeah, he just wants to blue the whole world. Yes! (laughs) All of them shall feel the power of my blue! All right, come on. Wrangle your guests, Andy! All right, all right, all right. We're going to get it under control. All right, look. We can all agree on one thing. Nanotech is fucking sweet. It's very kick-ass. It's fucking cool. Everyone is digging it. But hey, what if this stuff took a turn? Okay? What if we pulled Amoria and delved too deep into science and unleashed the horrible Balrog apocalypse? If the Balrog is the apocalypse, then I guess you can call me Morgoth because I will create the apocalypse. (laughs) What a weird fucking thing to say. Come on, Igor. I thought you were going to add stuff to this, not just say bizarre shit and laugh maniacally. Come on, man. I'm sticking my neck out for you. Having you on the podcast. Jesus Christ. You look like a fucking dumbass. Yeah, his neck doesn't go out that far. Man, he's sticking it out for you. Uh, Yeah, I don't have much neck to stick out. Anyway. God. Fuck. An engineer and futurist by the name of Kim Eric Drexler proposed an intriguing possibility for nanotechnology in his book, Engines of Creation. Drexler foresaw a future in which tiny machines called assemblers could build materials molecule by molecule. Using billions of these assemblers, you could manufacture practically anything you can think of. The assemblers would put the molecules together just the right way to build whatever you wanted. So first you build a few of these assemblers, these like little molecular building robots in the lab. Then you tell the assemblers to build 
other assemblers. So they're assemblers assembling assemblers. The new assemblers start building more assemblers. The manufacturing rate then goes to an exponential factor as these new assemblers just keep building more assemblers. Eventually, all these assemblers that are assembling assemblers convert all organic matter into more assemblers and they consume the entire earth in the process. The earth would become a lifeless mass with nothing on it except nanomachines. A gray goo, an assembly, gray goo, which Drexler used not to describe the color of the machines necessarily, but the idea that the nanobots themselves wouldn't need to be evolutionarily fancy. They wouldn't need a lot of like baubles in their evolution. They would just be bland, very functional, and supremely destructive. The tiny machines would eat you and everyone you've ever cared about. No! All right. God, Jesus, that scared the shit out of me. Calm, Calm down. All right. Aside from being called the Grey Goose scenario, this doomsday idea has also been called ecophagy, which is, you know, like Greek for (laughs) eating the environment, which was the name of my autobiography. (laughs) There it is. So now because I think it's interesting, here's the actual text that Kim Eric Drexler used in Engines of Creation. Okay. Imagine such a replicator floating in a bottle of chemicals, making copies of itself. The first replicator assembles a copy in 1,000 seconds. The two replicators then build two more in the next 1,000 seconds. The four build another four, and the eight build another eight. At the end of 10 hours, there are now 36 new... There are not 36 new replicators, but over 68 billion. Jesus Christ. In less than a day, they would weigh a ton. In less than two days, they would outweigh the Earth. In another four hours they would exceed the mass of the sun and all the planets combined. If the bottle of chemicals hadn't run dry long before. Later in the book, Drexler writes, early assembler-based replicators could beat the most advanced modern organism. Plants with leaves no more efficient than today's solar cells could outcompete real plants. Crowding the biosphere with an inedible foliage, tough omnivorous bacteria could outcompete real bacteria. They could spread like blowing pollen, replicate swiftly, and reduce the biosphere to dust in a matter of days. Jesus. Dangerous replicators could easily be too tough, small, and rapidly spreading to stop, at least if we made no preparation. We have trouble enough controlling viruses and fruit flies. End quote. And Drexler is right here. As the former proprietor of a fruit fly rodeo, I can tell you those things are impossible to train and wrangle. Yeah. You're you're not known for being able to wrangle things. All right, I get it. Just look, he's just he's it's the first time. Give him a break. He's gonna do better. I'm a tough sell, Andy. He's already made a bad impression on me. I know, but he's gonna bring you. He's gonna. I think by the end you're gonna come around to okay, Doctor we'll Igor see. von Dubot. I don't like to come around. Yeah, well, you can come directly on Igor von Dubot by the end of this episode. So, <laughs> in a 1992 technical book on advanced nanotechnologies called Nanosystems. Molecular Machinery, Manufacturing, and Computation. Really exciting title. Uh, Drexler describes manufacturing systems that are desktop scale factories. So like can sit on a desk. Uh, These factories with specialized machines in fixed locations and conveyor belts to move parts from place to place. So basically you could create these assembler nanobots at rapid scale just with something that could sit on your desk. (laughs) Ah, yes. The perfect setup to create my own gray goo. I would rule the machines. 
The world would be devoured by my pretties. <laughs> well, anyway, uh huh. While it might be far fetched, it's not hard to imagine a scenario where gray goo becomes manifest. For example, take a relatively plausible present and future environmental problem and solution combo. Cleaning a, nat a natural habitat after an oil spill. Like we just talked about. In this scenario, billions of nanobots are deployed to consume the toxic oil and convert it into less harmful substances. But a programming error directs the nanobots to devour all carbon-based objects, not just the oily hydrocarbons. These nanobots destroy everything and in the process replicate themselves. Within days or hours, planet Earth is turned into gray goo. Okay, well, I have some thoughts on that. And, hey, I'm not just talking about the Earth-shaped stress ball I use as a makeshift fleshlight. I'm dreaming of destroying the planet, and even I find that disturbing. Yeah, I'm starting to fucking agree with you, Von Doombot. Ah, see, I told you, my own depravity has brought yeah. you two together. Maybe our one thing we can agree on is that you're a fucking sick fuck. Yeah, he's a sick fuck coming into a stress ball. You have the money. You can buy a better fleshlight. Yeah, I could, but this one's shaped like the earth. It's like I'm coming in the center of the earth. Like my <laughs> dick is a drill and it drilled to the center of the earth and then I filled the earth with yeah. cum. And so then the volcanoes erupt with my cum. Right. It's a fracking fucking. You're a sick fucking weirdo. All right. Look who's talking. Mr. Wants to blue everybody. Fucking guys. But hey, let's level set a little bit here, okay? Mm -hmm. In order to become gray goo, nanobots need to meet certain criteria, right? The machines have to be self-replicating. That's an important factor. Uh, this would be the basic definition of a gray goo bot is they have to be able to self-replicate. So building other bots and imbuing them with the programming. The robots would have to be hardy. The gray goo bots have to survive in any environment they encounter in order to keep replicating like a thick soup because if they can only survive in one environment they they'll only go so far mm. and to that point they also have to be mobile which is a really big factor here they they've got to be able to get around round get around they get around so this could potentially be met this criterion could be met just by the gray goo pushing older gray goo out of the way like as they replicate they just sort of run out of physical space and they just push each other further and further, um, potentially. Um, but a last criterion, each gray goobot has to have a sufficiently sized self-contained computer to store information to direct the nanobot. Right. So if there's no, if there's no processing power and there's no computer, the bot just doesn't do anything. It's just going to be a wind-up toy, basically. What, uh, what materials are they making the replicants out of? They would use just organic matter. Okay. So they're going to disassemble the earth to get fuel to power themselves and to build more replicators. Gotcha. Biomass. Yeah. So all this chatter. Tyranids. Uh, right. Warhammer 40K. Warhammer 40K. Yeah. They're going to dis they're going to disassemble the lore of Warhammer 40K molecule by molecule and That's use right. that to fuel themselves. That's exactly right. So. All this chatter about teeny tiny robots consuming everything got plenty of people freaked out, right? Yeah. When this came to the public consciousness, people were like, oh, fuck. So no less than Prince Charles of the UK 
called upon the British Royal Society to investigate the, quote, enormous environmental and social risks, end quote, of nanotechnology in a planned report leading to much media commentary on Grey Goo. Curses! I'm so tired of being thwarted by the queen and her meddling child. Yeah, I mean, the queen does suck. I'll give you that one. Yeah. I'll do about it. I'm, I'm kind of with you there. You have to fucking enter every time you say shit with a fucking really loud thing. Like, it's just really, it's just, it just makes me uncomfortable that you have to do that. All the time. Yeah, I don't think that he'll be able to stop. <laughs> so, so that's not negotiable? Something tells me that that's just a tick that he has. Curses! Oh, Jesus! Sorry. As Fuck. As he carried, he's a very loud starter. I think that just about everything he says starts with an exclamation. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ! Andy's friends. So the Royal Society's report on nanoscience was released on July twenty ninth, two thousand four, and it declared the possibility of self replicating machines to be too far in the future to be of a concern for modern-day regulators. Yeah! This was 2004, you say? Hmm? It is now the future! My dream is alive! Yeah, I guess. The present, technically, but yeah. Yeah, I guess, like, future from 2004, but... Sure. I mean, we'll talk more about it, I guess, but... Other scientists have warned that even if the possibility of a Grey Goose scenario is small... Errors in science always have a ripple effect, even to unforeseen and profoundly negative downstream effects. So a slight misstep in the science of nanotechnology could lead to a dystopian future. Sure. Robots destroy us all. Sure. So gray goo is a pretty terrifying end of the world scenario. Uh, it does assume a few things, though, uh, like that we wouldn't be able to stop the machines in time or that we wouldn't build the machines with some kind of limit to what they build or right. even a remote kill switch. Yeah. Basically, this assumes that we have to fuck up pretty bad in the design of these machines. <laughs> your mistakes are my gain. I will learn from your errors. What? You're going to learn what, Von Dubot? I will learn how to make the nanobots evade your mechanisms to stop them. Okay. All right. I guess you just have a plan for how to do that. You have a strategy. You have documents. What do you even have a doctorate in? What's your... What's your fucking... Uh... Osteopathy. I'm an osteopath. You're a bone doctor? Yes. Is that what osteopathy is? I'm a boner doctor. Oh, God. <laughs> You're losing me, Von Doombutt. Ah, he's just having fun with you. He's a good guy. I worry about where you make friends. <laughs> we met on the train. <laughs> I was pushing an old person out of the way, and he stopped me. And we became friends. You're a lot like a Grey Goo. Yeah. Pushing other things out of the way. Well, it goes without saying, I think, that with so many assumptions, not everybody thinks that Grey Goo is a real solid possibility for an apocalypse. Kim Eric Drexler even eventually said that there is no need to build anything that even resembles a potential runaway replicator. This would avoid the problem completely. In a paper in the journal nanotechnology it's just called nanotechnology uh drexler argues that self-replicating machines are needlessly complex and inefficient 
Drexler has made a somewhat public effort uh, in the time since uh, Engines of Creation came out to retract his gray goo hypothesis in an effort to focus the debate on more realistic threats associated with knowledge-enabled nanoterrorism and other misuses. Oh. So more realistic things that people could use nanotechnology for nefarious. Nanoterrorism. Right, nanoterrorism. Um, Drexler says that arms control is a far greater issue than gray goo nanobugs. In 2004, he even stated, quote, I wish I had never used the term gray goo. End quote. <laughs> Now, aside from Drexler's push to f- change the focus on gray goo to more less imminent, come imminent threats, yeah, less come based imagery, right? Uh, scientist Robert A. Freitas Jr. also looked into the gray goo scenario from a medical perspective. Uh, his calculations indicated that we'd recognize the disaster in time to contain the gray goo. Um, Freitas initially calculated that one rogue nanobot that cause that uses carbon for fuel and reproduces every 100 seconds could gray goo the entire Earth. In two hours. So one bot that reproduces another assembler every 100 seconds could gray goo, turn the entire earth into gray goo in two hours. Wow. Now that's efficient. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it so is. it's, it's they're true. robots. Yeah. So, but I mean, hold your horses here. Freitas also points out that the nanobots would generate heat and would eventually generate so much heat that they would vaporize their fuel which would slow down the swarm, yeah, potentially not obliterating the Earth for 30 days. Oh. Well, I, I guess that's still pretty good. Yeah, but then Freitas thinks that by the time nanobots like these are even possible, humans will have put some kind of safeguards in place to detect malevolent swarms of nanobots. Even if, oh, I don't know, some kind of evil genius? Like a certain doctor? Of osteopathy? Dr. Igor Von Doombot? Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, somebody like you, an evil little weirdo. If somebody like you, some evil dude, built nanobots that could evade the control mechanisms, uh-huh. like I said I would. Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, you know, like things like thermal satellite tracking. If the bots could avoid this, the nanobots would likely have to move so slow, Freitas estimated completing the Grey Goo timeline would balloon to up to 20 months. Wow. I'd like to think I could do better than that. All right. Give it a shot. <laughs> yeah, I guess knock yourself out on Doombot. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but that's what the eggheads are saying. 20 hours. 20 months, I mean. Further, Egghead said the following in Safe Exponential Manu- Manufacturing, which was published. That's the name of the article, which was published in a 2004 issue of Nanotechnology. So many fucking boring names when these scientific publications. <laughs> yeah. It was suggested that creating manufacturing systems with the ability to self-replicate by the use of their own energy sources would not ever be needed, that that would not be something we would ever need to do. Mm. The Foresight Institute also recommended embedding controls in the molecular machines. These controls would be able to prevent anyone from purposely abusing nanotechnology and therefore avoid the Grey Goose scenario completely. Many scientists say that it may be impossible to build assemblers at all, uh, for the foreseeable future at least. (laughs) now all i must do is live for hundreds of years or be frozen and then be thawed at the right moment to build my armies of nanobots okay well that's a great point dr von doombot to see the horrors of the future one need only stay alive for hundreds of years until science fiction becomes science fact 
becomes humanity's complete destruction. I know that's your goal. And we here at Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast fully support you in it. Let me speak for both me and Art, especially Art, when I say that humanity has had a decent run. But it's now the age of machines. (laughs) We submit to our mechanical overlords and their robotic desires. We only hope that by getting in good with the robots early on, we'll be seen as favored humans in their robotic utopia. Maybe we'll even get special perks, like unfettered access to the robot's most prized possession, a whole enchilada. Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast will be right back after this brief message. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II, each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. Well, hey, podcast listener. My name is Vince, and I'm the host of a show called The RR Show. It stands for Reddit Readings. We're going to sit down twice a week, and I'm going to bring you the most entertaining stories from all of the best subreddits that exist online. Things like malicious compliance, petty revenge, hey, lady, I don't work here. Oh, there's so much more. Lots of great stories and things you won't believe. Like the one time uh, this dude was caught in a bathroom with his friend and he was slapping them because that was the only way that he could actually legitimately help them. A mall cop comes in with a taser. Oh, yeah, the rest is history. It's going to be fun. There is, uh, I don't know, I got like 20 seconds left, so I don't got much more time to tell you another story. But just join me on The RR Show. It's from Evergreen Podcast, produced in partnership with Wessler Media. So The RR Show. Wherever you get podcasts, subscribe today, and uh, it's like an adult story time. Let's hang out together. The RR Show. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. Bunkfunkers, welcome back. That was our research, my research, into the gray goo scenario. Yeah, we kicked out your little friend, Andy. Look, what I know are you it, doing bringing guys like that into the bunker? Look, I know it didn't go well. It didn't go great. I thought Stop that he- bringing random men over here. Did you meet on the train? This is a good place to bring random men that I meet on the train. God, he was so weird. Yeah. He ate all the fucking crackers. Now we don't have anything for this cheese dip. 
well, and then crackers for this cheese dip. Uh, he's, I mean, he was hungry. He ate all the crackers. Now there's nothing to dip this cheese. We're going to have to use our fingers, we can which just, I know you're excited about. We could just use a spoon. Let me just tip the bowl. No, I don't want to do that, Andy. It's in a big old fucking crock pot. Yeah. Cheese dip. Yeah. Just get a dip. Just get a ladle. Bunkers, another great day in the bunker. Um, we kicked out your friend, Dr. Von Doombot. I have a lot to say about this. About Dr. Von Doombot? No, fuck that guy. Oh, shit. I thought you guys would hit it off. No, we did for a little bit. Things looked okay there, but then he kept going back to like he wants to take over the world and blew the world. Yeah, but that's a blue thing. world. He's way into Eiffel 92, that fucking song. He just likes Eritrium a lot. All day and all night, everything was blue, inside and outside. Blue his house, little blue little window in a blue Corvette. Yeah. Everything is blue to him. He's himself. like little Dr. Blue. Yeah. Little Dr. Blue, come um, blow your horn. You know, obviously, I think when it comes to this idea of nanotechnology, it's it's terrifying, but it, I don't know. It's, it's sort of, I guess, implied that they're programmed to do one simple task, right? Which is to take organic matter and then convert it to whatever matter they are made of. Well, this is what this is what the nano assemblers would do. Right. Is they're programmed to take organic matter, disassemble it. So like they take a small amount of matter and they disassemble it into its constituent parts because remember these nanobots can work with stuff at the molecular level. So Yeah, but that's not really how stuff functions at the molecular level, is it? But they break it apart. When you break things apart like that, yeah. They take the, you know, they they you snap it at them. Yeah. And then an explosion happens. Well, yeah. Like you a giant have, release of energy. Yeah, there's a release of it. But they're not snapping the atoms, you know. They're like... They're carefully doing it to perfection. Right, right. These are like surgical robots. Okay. And so they disassemble this material, and then they use it for their fuel to build the other assemblers. And of course, these... these Look, it assumes a lot of stuff, you know, It assumes that they're going to find the same things everywhere, everywhere they go. Right. And that, that, that they'll have the materials available right. in, all these, in all of these situations. And the energy is another really good part because what, what is fueling these things? Yeah, exactly. I yeah. guess just the, they're having to take some of this organic material as fuel. They'll convert some to, some to their fuel and then right. they'll use the rest to build the other assemblers. Right. But- it also assumes near perfection, like there's going to be some variance where there's going to be some errors, right? So then these things are also going to have to know to route, read those errors and understand those errors, disassemble the broken assemblers. There's going yeah. to, there's bound to be assemblers that error out and don't do it perfectly. Yeah. I mean, presumably the assemblers would then just, once they run out of other material, would just start consuming other assemblers. Like but they're going to get of, so big. You said after a couple of hours, they'd be so big that they would weigh the same as the Earth. So they'll weigh the same as the Earth, which would crush the fucking planet before they're even done fucking consuming it. Yeah, I, right? I mean, I don't know. It would probably, if, if it gets to that level, it, they probably consume all of the organic matter on Earth before that. Okay. Well, even then, I mean, in... in you know, obviously, I think when people build stuff, even when they build computer programs, obviously there's people who release viruses. Yeah. But then there's people who protect against it by releasing antivirus or whatever, just protecting you against that kind of stuff. That's 
it's almost like a, it doesn't feel like a thing of a past, but it's like, I remember viruses used to be a huge thing. And now it seems like they're kind of not because our browsers are almost built in to detect shady stuff. We have like better, you can get SSL certificates for your web address, you know, so you're only going to secure sites. Things are a little bit more secure. I mean, obviously you still go to some sketchy sites you enter. It's almost like it's, it's, it's easier to get to somebody not by putting something on their computer, but by stealing their login information, their authentication information. You have to trick people now, I think. Yes, a you have lot to trick to people get, anymore. To get Whereas viruses. back in the day, you were like fucking downloading shit off LimeWire and you'd put a fucking Trojan horse on your computer. Yeah. And do a bunch of other silly stuff. Yeah, you know, occasionally you visit some pornography website. Right. Nowadays, you're streaming the porn, so then, you don't have to worry about it. Then that. all of a sudden, your screen locks up and it says that you were looking at child pornography and you're wanted by Interpol and you have to send a certain amount of money somewhere. Right. And so uh, then all you do in those situations, you just turn off the computer and restart it. That's right. And that fixes it. So um, I guess what I'm saying is like, even when, when you design software now, you don't just let it run rampant. Like, Oh, I do. You, you, I don't know. It's, 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 it's assuming a lot of things. Like it's assuming that each one of these things is, there's so many things, so many edge cases to, to protect against and you know these things are at the molecular level like what if you stomp on them what if they get crushed under the weight of something yeah and it just stops the whole thing from happening well the thing would be is like eventually this would be like probably it would not be one initially right yeah you would probably have a swarm right and then the swarm would just keep growing right and it would grow really fast because you would have a, a bunch of them in a swarm. But you would you would put kill switches in. You would put error handling in. You would you would protect this. Like, um, yeah, obviously, yes. I think nano terrorism could become a thing. So, a lot of the hypotheses around nano terrorism is things like people get a small amount of nanobots and then they release them into like a water supply. Yeah. And the nanobots are like programmed to mess with the water molecularly or to like inject poison into it. Um, you know, so there's like kind of a future of, uh, you know, if if there's widespread use of nanobots, like if lay people like you and me could get a hold of nanobots. That's the thing that I don't know how plausible that is because. Obviously, it seems like this nanotechnology, by the time it gets to the place where it can do the things we're talking about, it will be a highly specialized skill. And I think it takes a little while before the lay person, the common person, can get a hold of it and even make use of it. Yeah. But we are seeing this a little bit with some of the machine learning and AI technology that exists even today. For example, obviously, within the world of pornography, deep fakes are becoming more and more a thing because like obviously like AI technology like that, it used to be damn near impossible to do a deep fake. But now you can look up on YouTube, like the Joe Rogan deep fakes or like some of these other deep fakes and they're like pretty fucking convincing. Yeah. And that technology, um, I forget the name of the fucking site. It's, it's on YouTube bunk bunkers. If you're really interested in this stuff, I think it's called three blue, two Brown or, Two blue, one brown. It's it's a YouTube channel where they only do like two minute papers on like AI. 
and these some of these these deep faking and AI component things are are becoming so readily prevalent and available to the public that like and like open open source that you can just start doing it and using it if you know how. I still think that there is that barrier of you need to understand a little bit about you need to be technically minded. Let's put it that way. I think that the only people who can do it at this point are uh, still software engineer type people, which is a specialized skill. And I think that would be the same in the nano world. You know, obviously I think, you know, like it's kind of like, it's like, it's like you need to be a chemist to know how to make, you don't need to be a chemist to know how to make crystal meth. You know what I'm saying? But it's like, you do need to be chemically minded. Like you need to know what you're making and what you're doing. Cause you could fucking, obviously there's people out there making crystal meth. <laughs> so they know how to do it. They are chemically minded people. Yeah. But I think this would be even a step further, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It would definitely be probably, <clears throat> like you said, at so least you're building this with household ingredients. No, no. This is nanotechnology. You have to get your hands on it. You but, know? Yeah. But there's a lot of things that, you know, eventually become this thing of like, Oh, give this like little kit, like you can take it home right. and you can do this thing. Well, obviously terrorists know how to build bombs that can blow up buildings. Right. Yeah. And so, but bomb making has been a, I don't know, a skill. I don't know what you call it. A skill of trade. <laughs> I'm on the bomb making trade for a long, 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 long time. Sure. Right. That science has been around. So that's what I'm kind of saying is like, I also think that, um, Again, on the AI thing, it's it's Adobe partnered with some other, I forget what, but they they built an AI voice recognition software that was so good. It's actually scary. You can look up the YouTube video. They actually use Michael Keegan Key. I think his voice. I don't know why he was involved. They use his voice and they catch like a very short snippet of his voice. Then it could generate him having a full conversation an ai created conversation based off a small snippet of his voice that was extraordinarily convincing now they don't release that to the public because there's high levels of ethical concern <laughs> with that being released to the public right yeah the ability to take a small snippet of someone's voice and replicate an entire conversation basically literally making like you could just make somebody say whatever you want them to say. It's, it's fucking, I mean, it's, it's, it's horrific to think about, right? Yeah. If that got released to the public. Yeah. Same that, kind of thing with the nanoterrorism, right? Yeah. Nanobots are a very big ethical concern because right. it, it makes a robot that's too small for anybody to see. Right. So it's, you know, smaller than bugs, whatever, like, you know, even the size of a, of a flea. Yeah, this be, is a fucking Dr. Robotnik rolling around with his fucking, cast and crew of little robots right right these are like tiny invisible robots that you don't need that many of them you like you don't yeah. need them to be visible or or even a small vials worth would right. be in the fucking millions right you billions. can have a lot of them in in just a small space and so a lot of stuff would be really susceptible to these like you know you could you could take like a vial of just a tiny amount of liquid and it could have nanobots in it you could pour it in someone's drink and then the nanobots, like maybe they're programmed to like 
kill the person, you know, like go into the heart and fuck up with the heart and stuff. So like it would definitely make assassinations almost, how would they ever detect this? You know, because there would be no obvious poison. Like, so you need some kind of detection method to find the nanobots. Of course, they could be programmed to do their thing and then just self-destruct. And so you'd never have any trace of them at all. You bring up, I still think that it's like, it takes a highly trained operative to be able to do that. But yeah, you know, somebody has to program these fucking nanobots and then test them. Yeah. And do that kind of stuff. Right. So then you have to get human hearts. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, but you know, like 3d printers. Yep. That used to be a thing that it was like, oh, well, that'll never be an in-home use. Now you can 3d print a gun. It's too, it's too impractical. Like nobody will do this. Like it needs too much specialized skill. And just a few years, like already now, it's like there's home models of 3D printers. Yeah, you could go to the library, do some 3D printing. You could just yeah. do it at home. If I've done really it before. What'd you 3D print? Oh, I 3D printed my own penis so I could use it as a butt plug. God, what the fuck's wrong with you? I don't know. That's what the librarian asked. <laughs> Stupid librarian. No, I just went and saw the 3D printer at the library. <laughs> It was pretty cool. You just looked at it? Well, no, they were printing stuff. What were they printing? The librarian printed um, a little model of Pikachu. That's cute. Because they had a thing where people at the library could submit their own, like, designs for stuff. And then they just print them out at the library. And so not the designs haven't been tested for their stability. So somebody submitted this design for a Pikachu, and it collapsed under its own weight in the printer. It wasn't... Get stable. Designs. That's why I think, though, that like there's definitely going to have to be like governmental measures. But it's like, are they going to happen too late? You know, it's it's you don't want to have. Um, God, like, what's an example of that? Well, AI could be a good example. Like, is anybody in the government talking about that? Like the ethical concern of AI that's already coming out? Like, like if I wanted to. Hell, if. Well, maybe not us, but like there's what, I don't know, thousands of hours of our voices publicly available for you to download. But you could see this with Much to the chagrin of people with ears. Right. Joe Rogan's a better example because there's there's like, I don't even know how many, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of hours of him on camera talking. So you've got his voice and his face in every almost conceivable format. So you just download... I mean, thousands, and then you just put it into any deep fake software and you can literally make Joe Rogan. And I just know because there's YouTube videos of people doing this. Yeah. Just make them, and same thing with like, you know, they did it with Trump, they did it with Hillary, they did it with Obama. You could do it with any public figure, basically. Yeah. Um, You just make, like, and the AI is getting so good that it's like, you can videotape yourself doing movements and actions. Like, so you could do like a silly dance and then just take, Feed the AI, feed the machine learning the hundreds of hours of the public figure. And the AI will stitch together yeah. all the pieces. And then it's like you can make a public figure do what it, do and say whatever you want. Yeah. And that exists right now. It's open source. You can go do it for free. And it's like, you know, nobody's talking about that. Nobody's like, there's no fucking, as far as I know, like laws against that shit. But I mean, obviously there's laws against identity theft and- you're trying to impersonate somebody, but I don't know. 
when does that start becoming an issue? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It it does raise a lot of ethical concerns. Any new technological advancement basically now at this point. Because it takes a high concerns. level of skill to understand it. Yeah. Right? You've got these people in Congress and whatever, and they don't get, like, it's kind of like, I don't know. Was it, is that kind of what happened with some of the Zuckerberg hearings? I don't know. Can't remember. Well, I think a lot of tech hearings, you can tell that they um, just kind of don't know what's going on. They don't understand it exactly right. all the time. And so they, I think they ask a lot of questions that don't make any sense and, or they ask the wrong kinds of questions. Right. So there's a good, I mean, it's fair to say, do people making laws really understand the problems that need to be addressed? And nanotechnology, I can just already see being so hyper complex because like you said up top, it involves every facet of science. It can, it's chemistry and it can be biology and it's technology and it's, it's using a technological solution to build a biomechanical device that converts chemical matter. Yeah. Biological matter down to its chemistry I yeah, mean, it's, it's fucking crazy. It's like the, the idea that you could build a robot. So you have to understand robotics and then build you have robot. to understand chemistry because these things are going to be modif- like manipulating things at the molecular level. Right. Like so small that they'll be able to manipulate things at a molecular scale. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, I was either reading or watching a video as part of the research and it was talking about the idea that in the future where society is sort of naturally headed is to more reliance on machines that we are trying a lot now to give away human tasks to machines to make our lives easier. Mm -hmm. Well, what if we start to realize at some point that machines make decision-making a lot easier because they're not prone to human error so they can consider a lot of complex variables, weigh the options appropriately, and then make a decision very fast and make a good decision very fast. All you have to do is teach the machine the decision points and how to understand them. Yeah. So what if we get to a scenario where we decide that not just we don't want the machines to just do work for us. We want machines to make decisions for us. Mm. And then we start to realize that Managing all these machines making decisions is very cumbersome. Let's get machines to understand how to make decisions about making decisions. And then eventually we get to a point where the decision making that we've built into the machines is so complex that no one person or even a group of people will be able to understand it because it's so complex. There's so many variables and the machines are just making decisions left and right all the time. like responding instantly to new stimuli or new information. It gets to a point where human beings can't manage the decisions anymore. So we just do whatever the machines tell us to do because we can't understand even how the machines are making decisions anymore. It's too complex. What would that be like a techocracy? Yeah, I guess it's like we We live under the thumb of the machines. We're technically in control of the machines because we built them, but we've let the machines get to a point where the machines make all the decisions for us. That's a very badass science fiction. So we just do whatever the machines say and we can't unwind it because we'll break the whole system. The only way to get out of it is to just completely get rid of the machines, which are doing everything for us. 
So you also get into this point of like, you know, transhumanism. Like right. at what point do we then decide to merge with the machines? At what, how much of the machines do we take on to our own human self? Nanotechnology, very big part of this because we could use nanobots to augment our bodies and potentially live for hundreds of years. We could use these to get huge robotic ding-dongs. That's what I'm saying. That are like Inspector Gadget extendo arms. It's true though. It's, it's, it's. You could use nanobots to, what does they say? They, they, they always talk about like, oh, we found the thing that uh, is um, the key to human life. It's those, those that um, telomeres or something. Yeah. The those, like those little things that are at the end of the strand of DNA or whatever right. the fuck they're called. Yeah. I don't remember what they're called, but I, I don't remember. They start with a T, but then it's like over time they shrink mm-hmm. and unravel and then you die. Like you have nanobots in there building new ones. Yeah. The nanobots could become them and they don't die. So one thing that also gets brought up in nanobots is that, you know, like we talked about in the research that nanobots could be used to repair neurons. Nanobots could potentially also be used to map your entire brain, go into every neuron in your brain, like make an electronic copy of your thoughts, your memories, everything that's inside your mind, because whatever spark of consciousness exists inside our brains mm-hmm. In a future state, perhaps nanobots could be used to capture those electrical signals, make a signature of them, and then turn that into like an electronic storage database. That's fucking crazy. And then this is like this becomes then transhumanism. Your your personality, your memories, everything that is you as a human being, it's except for Amazon. your body, yeah, is stored on Amazon. You can access it for a Prime subscription. Uh, <laughs> the but it gets saved, stored in a fucking S three bucket. You know, like all of every person who's after this point that is ever born, every human being gets all of their consciousness uploaded into like satellites that orbit the earth. And so then every, every consciousness has access to all knowledge that's available at that time. So you could access all of my memories. I could access all of your memories. I don't want your memories. We could access all of everybody's memories. No, all people memories. could look at my memories and see what goes on in my mind. I want single client tendency. I want your data far away from my data. <laughs> don't mix my data with your data, please. But the point is then humans sort of become obsolete after this because they do. the machine has access to all knowledge that's available at that point. And the human, human existence is completely in the cloud, basically. So the physical human form is no longer necessary. It's like the true matrix. Right. The idea of humans as batteries is one fucking stupid. Right. And that's what uh, very pe- inefficient people believe there's probably a second layer to the matrix that's even deeper. Yeah. Where the matrix is what you're kind of describing and it created a second layer matrix that the then human consciousness believes is actually the the fake matrix right like right. The fucking human world right um right the machines have tricked the human consciousness into believing this matrix theory to obscure the fact that there are just no humans anymore so at that point though then you have to have machines that are like so hyper what's their purpose though like why what are they programmed to do I, to me i would think that the machines would at that point, understand that there's no purpose to serve. Because it's a good question. I guess humans have this some kind of thing within us as all organic matter does where we just, our basic protocol, our basic programming is to reproduce. Right. That's what we're designed to do. That's what all 
Quana is able to do. I just, all I want to do is shoot my wad and see myself replicated in a new generation right. while I decompose. So if we get to the point where, yes, all human life is now uploaded to a singular database and those machines are so intelligent that they can run their own statistical analysis of that data and compute that data, prescribe from that data and understand that data and predict things from that data. Like what, what would the machines decide, man? I don't know, dude. We don't know. In a way, the machines are built to serve our collective consciousness then, all of humanity's yeah. consciousness, and maintain that. But So they're just in a built way, to sit there and maintain it. But in a way, we've, we've completely become merged with the machines. And so if the machines decided that, that was no longer beneficial to the machines, they could just erase all of our consciousnesses. And it's assuming, though, that machines have the same programming as us, where they want to keep... The Matrix does this, too. It like mm -hmm. assumes that the machines want to just keep going, which is like a human thing. But yeah. they might not. They might just be like, oh, this doesn't make sense This is actually exist. This is actually a bit of a problem with the Grey Goo hypothesis, to right. be honest, because each, each nanobot, each nano assembler, has to be able to not only be empowered with some sort of a processor, which I mean, I think everybody agrees. Like we will get to a point where nano machines will be able to have their own onboard computers. That they yeah. Have their own computers. Right. Yeah. That, you know, like we've hit this point though, where like with Moore's law, now, well, this chip shortage is going on. I mean, <laughs> yeesh, sheesh. Are you, are you cringe, bro? So mid the fucking prices of GPUs. So mid, so cringe. Yeah, it's sheesh. very cringe. Dead ass used to be bussing. Now it's like sheesh. What's up? I'm a zoomer. Zoomer already. I know your lingo. Yeah, I'm a fucking nanobot. I'm coming for you, zoomers. <laughs> yeah, watch out. I'm gonna fucking replicate myself as a zoomer. I'm young again. Jeez. He's sheesh, better. sheesh. Is that what Zoomers are saying? I don't fucking know. Sheesh, sheesh. <laughs> Bussin'. Buss. I don't even know what that one means. I don't understand how to use dead ass. I've heard it before, but I don't really know how to use Mid, it. Mid, cringe. They just say everything's cringe. It's the same thing. Everything's cringe. I know cringe. I don't know. I've never heard mid. I know cringe. I am cringe. <laughs> I am cringe. Go to go to r slash cringe and it's me. <laughs> the problem, is, look, are you familiar with Moore's Law? No. Which is that. But I want to hear more. Which is that, uh, like, it's this, it's this law of, like, increasing processing power and decreasing size of oh, the yeah. processor. Yeah, that makes sense. And so it's, like, it's, it's plotting this trajectory. And, like, on Moore's, where Moore's law is, like, we've stalled. We've strayed from the, like, overall path of Moore's law. Processors have gotten more powerful, but they have stopped getting exponentially smaller yeah. as well. But... There's a lot of thought that nanotechnology will actually lead to the breakthroughs that will allow us to make teeny tiny little processors. Mm. And so that's what eventually will enable nanobots to have onboard computers. They'd be very simple machines. These are not complex machines. If right. its point is to deconstruct something and then put it in a different path that's predefined. Yeah. But eventually we'll get to this point where we can have these little computers. Yeah. So the thing that the nano assemblers then will have to do is not only be enabled with those tiny processors, they'll also have to be able to build not just the assembler, but build the processor 
that goes in the assembler so that it also has a computer. Mm-hmm. And then they have to be able to transfer the programming from one bot to another. So this is part of the problem, too, is that the robots have to function almost like it's like human reproduction, basically. Yeah. Or any animal reproduction where it's the robot. It's like asexual reproduction. They just build another one and then they have to be able to, like, pass on the traits that they have to the next generation. So it's a bit of a problem, too. Like That's more of a future state that would have to be solved for. Mm-hmm. For that to become a reality. And I think that's the point where people get to like, this is getting so complex. Why would anybody choose to do this? That it's just not going to be efficient to do it this way. Yeah. I mean, could it happen on an accident? Sure. There's a lot of things that can happen accidentally. Yeah. Nuclear fucking power reactors can, can fucking melt re- accidentally and, and cause catastrophic destruction, which we've seen, right? Yeah. Heavily regulated industry. It's a, a, a fucking, skilled thing like understanding nuclear reaction and what you need to do and how you build it and yeah what the elements do and all that shit and where to put stuff mm-hmm. and how to handle it like it's fucking hyper complex yeah and yet it could all come crashing down just from some impish little felon jumping a fence and messing with the cooling rods <laughs> is that you or is that you and dr von Dumba? oh i not me for sure uh-huh I've never been to a nuclear reactor. Uh-huh. And never thrown a pair of my underwear into the cooling tank. <laughs> you want a nice crispy cold underwears on a hot day? Ooh, yeah, it feels good. But that's what I'm kind of saying is like similar to nuclear reactors and such. It's like that's a very you would hope, I don't know. I'm I'm assuming a regulated industry that you no, can't No, I just, don't hope that. You can't just get access to. I'm talking about nanoterrorism too where it's yeah. like I don't know. Why is there not more nano terror like nuclear reaction terrorism going on? Yeah. Well, it's hard to get into. You have to have a lot of skill too. Yeah, I mean this it's radioactive. This is what's sort of interesting is when they built the atomic bomb initially, mm-hmm. you know, the Manhattan project was was very successful and you know, the United States achieved victory in Europe before the first bomb was ever tested. Mhm. And so there was a lot of discussion about should the program even continue at this point. Right. We've we they were most worried about the Nazis developing a bomb. And that's why the bad rush to complete it is because if Germany was going to have nuclear weapons, we wanted to also have a nuclear arsenal to combat them. Well, with Germany defeated, we took all their scientists. There was really no in some people's minds there was no need to continue with the project, but Dr. Oppenheimer was like, well, we already have a test schedule. We might as well test it and see if it works. And so they went ahead with it. And then that they continued to develop it. They continued and to test it. And now look where we are. And, you know, of course, as we talked about before, Ed Teller was worried that the entire atmosphere was going to ignite. But they went ahead with it anyway. <laughs> Which they found out later, you know, that it didn't ignite the atmosphere. And there were a lot of unknowns, right? This, yeah. was, a, this was the cutting edge of technology. And this was in this space where they were like, there is no regulation. You just go, go, go. You just get it done. So there's, I think a lot of people have a fear of this too, that, you know, what if it had ignited the entire atmosphere and the atmosphere had just burned up from the nuclear explosion? Like Teller's calculations were turned out to be not correct, you know, but I can't handle that level of stress, but they still felt like there was a chance even after he revised his calculations, it wasn't until he did like another revision that they decided that the possibility of it was 
too remote to worry about or that it was not possible at all for the atmosphere to be ignited by a nuclear explosion. So, but they had an idea that it could possibly happen, that the atmosphere of the entire Earth could be ignited, set on fire by an atomic blast. And they still did it. So, like, I think the fear here is that people with nanobots, there'll be this really small possibility, potentially, of something horrible happening. And people would just go ahead with it anyway. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think you're right, Andy. And, and I think that that's why I hope that as science develops the nanotechnology, it happens in a very controlled environment where they can pull the plug on it if it does go haywire. Yeah. More so than you would with an atomic bomb, which is like this giant fucking thing that you have to drop. And then like the testing of it, the, the technology there was a lot more archaic than it would be when we're discussing nanotechnology yeah it took a lot that's of res- my hope it took a lot of resources to do the manhattan project so it's not like not like every single person in the country could have been like building atomic bombs in their backyard or anything but i think that another thing that's that complicates it is that this the rate at which technology advances now is much faster than it was even 40 years ago let alone like 70 years ago so you so, have some asshole develop a nanotechnology in his back garage right i mean it's far-fetched at this point but do we get to a point where that's not so far-fetched and like will will governments of the world be inclined to put controls in place and make regulation for this or will we see like we see with a lot of stuff where some governments are in favor of regulation and other governments choose not to true and then soon as somebody that's the thing about humans as soon as somebody breaks that threshold, it's like the the three minute mile, right, mm-hmm. or the four minute mile. I can't remember. Nobody thought it was possible. Yeah, they said it's fucking physically impossible. But this one motherfucker does it, and then it took like I don't know how many centuries it took to break the four minute mile or something. But then as soon as he did it, someone broke that record in like twenty six days. Yeah. And so it's it's that human mindset thing of like as soon as somebody does it, as soon as somebody does it, then all of a sudden we know it's possible. The mindset is there. So it's like somebody develops nanotechnology and they figure out a way to do it. And somebody on other, some other part of the world where they don't have regulation also figures it out because they get some of the answers from that person. Right. Like they find it online or some bullshit. Who knows? Then they do it. Now it's here. Well, now we have to have it because they did it. Yeah. Then you've got the same thing with the nuclear arsenals, right? Where it's like, we had them, Russians have them. Yeah. Then it becomes a fucking problem for like 40 fucking years. Yeah. Then all, everybody's got them. Every big, big, every big country's got them. Big status symbol. Gotta yeah. I mean, for some of our older listeners, I mean, this was the big debate about cloning. Like when oh, they yeah. were able to clone Dolly the sheep, this was the, it was like the fact that this was successful and they brought the sheep to term Mm-hmm. And that it could grow up and it was like a fully functional sheep that it was like, okay, this breaks the barrier on cloning. Right. How long before we have human clones and what are people doing to address cloning? And if you go in, you know, like now there's a bunch of like ethical rules in place about how to bullshit clone and stuff. Yeah, a bunch about, of fucking bullshit rules. About having sex with your clone and, you know, <laughs> not being able to use your clone for different right. purposes and whatever. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, bullshit. just remember that clones have to still develop. They are still children, Art. At, for a point in their life. Just remember that. Well, okay. I mean, it's uh, heed your own warning. 
little bit like the pot calling kettle black. Yeah, well. Practice what you preach, right, buddy? I yeah, I will. I mean, we're not the only people on this podcast who have problems with clones. Look, maybe we both have unhealthy relationships with our clones. Maybe, maybe people shouldn't bring up the word clone because we're instantly going to go into a thing where we talk about having sex with our own clone. Yeah, maybe we've done that like forty different times across this podcast. I don't know. Uh, You're right. And there, right. there are some jurisdictions where there was less concern about the ethical ramifications of cloning. Yeah. So these become sort of like... It happened to be jurisdictions where we were the mayor. We were visiting. <laughs> and then eventually got elected to public office. <laughs> what? What? Are we obsessed with clones? Whatever. Whatever. You know what? If you looked as good as we did, you'd yeah. want to fuck our clones too. Yeah. But then know, those man. become sort of hotbeds for like almost black market clone development, you yeah. know, like cloning technology development. So yep. you could see the same thing with nanotechnology. Really, the only way to really safeguard against it would be have one global government that sets regulations on these kind of things. But I don't really know that that would happen. You know, that everybody, that all countries would agree to that. Yeah. Well, hopefully by the time we get there, we're terraforming other planets and ruining those planets lives and yeah you can really escape the nanobots yeah it'd be better to just destroy this planet with nanobots and then be able to go yeah. to mars yeah that'd be cool well andy do populated we get- by our clones and our sexy offspring <laughs> you want to get to verdicts here what are we vertizing you know i thought about this and i guess i think we got to rate the plausibility of the gray goo scenario coming to fruition how plausible do we think it is that gray goo could destroy the world Art's thinking he's deep in thought. I'm going to go plausible plus. Wow. I think there's a lot of scenarios where we need to, it needs to be the perfect storm. Yeah. The gray goose to take over the planets. Mm -hmm. But I do think that, I do think that nanoterrorism and the efficacy and morality surrounding the world of nanotech it's it's exactly kind of what's happening right now with the Internet of Things. Mm-hmm. The Internet of Things is a movement. It's a concept of connecting devices globally across the world to the Internet in a way that has never been connected before. You think about even the idea of your smart fridge, right? Like that's a it's a fucking device that didn't need to be connected to the Internet. Now it is. And there's ways where it's good, right? You think about medical technology, right? You, you think about a surgical robot that is connected to a network where you can now download data that was never, you could never bef- before explore that world of data, analyze that data, make massive improvements in the world of medicine. And then you think about things like Amazon Alexa, or you think about some of these other devices that are listening to you and using your data to God knows, like fucking prescribe you more goddamn advertisements. But who knows what else this data capture can do? Even something small like the Apple, like a watch or or the workout band or anything with your phone, like listening to you, understanding more about you and using that against you in some way, right? You know, obviously I think TV shows and stuff explore that, but... um it's sort of a nuanced thing. There's a duality to that concept. And I think nanotechnology will be the same way. People will say, this is a great thing. Look what we can do for, for human health. And people say, is that something we should even be exploring? 
Then people say, what about this? Ah, this is bad. This company's using it for bad. You know that the governments are going to get involved and make it into a weapon, right? Yeah. Space exploration is dope as fuck, but you'd think that the Department of Defense doesn't have a say in what SpaceX is doing? Come on. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's, that's just the way that we're wired is that right. the first concern is like, how would this be used against us and how can we use it against other people? Right. Rather than like, oh, what a great thing for human progress. So that's why I say plausible plus, because I could see a way where it just kind of develops that way, where we do develop a nano weapon that deconstructs a human being with yeah. a gas. You spray nano gas. Mm-hmm. It's not a chemical weapon. Yeah. Or think about just a cloud of nanobots that gets carried by the wind. Right. And you could specifically target the nanobots to kill a specific person. And then people, they'd be like, well, is this a chemical weapon? No, it's only targeted to assassinate one specific person. Then there's like, oh my God. Yeah. That technology. Holy fuck the ethical concerns with that. Yeah. Jesus. So plausible plus from me. I see, I see a world where nanotechnology becomes nuanced and crazy argument. I think plausible plus is the right verdict too. Yeah. Uh, because I think it's, I think it's more than plausible that we could have some sort of nanotech doomsday gray goo scenario. There's a lot of problems with gray goo, frankly. Gray goo taking over the entire planet in under 24 hours. Mm. But I think that it's, there's enough concern there that if, that if there's no response ahead of time to regulation and ethical concerns yeah. about the use of nanotechnology, that it could quickly get away from from humanity. Right. Um, and, you know, this is a good time that I didn't think to bring this up in the discussion before, but... What if, if you could nanoly deconstruct a hot dog and turn it into a hamburger? I know. <laughs> well, Can you imagine? I wouldn't use that technology, <laughs> and I would outlaw it in my jurisdiction where all my sexy clones live. So... The thing that I wanted to bring up is that if you remember our episode on the Boötes Void, um, this is one of the things that was proposed about the Boötes Void is that there was some sort of like swarm of nanobots that was floating around, building Dyson spheres, capturing all the energy of these stars in that part of the universe, then using that energy to just keep expanding outward and outward and outward. So it's possible, you know, that's another gray goo possible scenario where these things get programmed and they like start expanding out that they just get carried on, you know, they can somehow get away from the earth's gravity. They get into outer space. They start deconstructing all of the planets and they start capturing stars and blah, blah, blah. And they just start consuming all matter in the universe. And eventually it ends the entire universe altogether, just swallowed up by nanobots. That'd be sick. Yeah, that would be pretty sick. So plausible plus on that too, that they're going to destroy the entire universe. (laughs) Bunkfuckers, let us know your thoughts on nanobots and nanotech and the gray goo disaster scenario. Use the hashtag. Sexy clones. <laughs> Sexy clones. The name of my cloning facility. The name of our cologne. Um, Sexy clones. Sexy clones clone. Um, Bunkfuckers, use the hashtag Sexy Clones. Email us, MrBunkerPod at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at MrBunkerPod. Uh, if you feel so inclined, you have the means to do so. Check us out on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bunker pod. Five bucks a month gets you access to all of our Patreon only content. And uh, there's a lot of good stuff there. 40 plus hours. Who knows how much, you know, yeah. there's a lot of fun stuff on there. People really like it. And um, check out the merch too. You know, there's still bunker merch. It's on yeah. our website. Check it out. Great merch. And uh, hey, don't forget. Well liked. Clone us too. 
You can find our DNA on toilet seats all right. over public restrooms. Right. Uh, and then clone us. Right. Let us know how that goes. Well, Andy, anything else you want to talk about with these nanobots? I think that the future of technology is very interesting and also very scary in a lot of ways. And I think that it's it's interesting to think about a state where human beings completely merge with machines or we just always have machines living inside of us, keeping us healthy. Pacemaker. And yeah, <laughs> I mean, even more intelligent machines than yeah. that. Like, I mean, it's crazy to think about little robots roaming around your body. You know, it'd be like that episode of Futurama where Fry gets the worms in his body and they like fix all of his ailments and like jazzercises muscles and stuff. Right. Like the future of humanity would be crazy Maybe nuts. if that becomes a reality. It's a mind fuck. That's for sure. It is a mind fuck. It's going to blow funkers. your minds. Bunk funkers, beefers. Beefers. Well, for not the titular Mr. Bunker, but for my Tizane. Oh, Standy Hart. Wow. Yeah, I sure am. I'm Art Stone saying that. The whole enchilada. Can you guys move your car? I'm stuck. God damn There's it. There's a truck in the way. <laughs> A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read.